Hi, and welcome to Beyond Bold by The Bold Age. Our aim is to encourage and support people approaching retirement and in later years to live a longer, healthier, more active and bolder life. We also want to create a dynamic voice for social change, recognising that boldies can and want to add value to society. In Beyond Bold podcasts, we will reflect on a host of topical stories, relevant news, and also interview some great people who are making a real difference to our Baldy community. Hi, my name's Andrew, and welcome to Beyond Bold podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at bold news, where we dissect pieces of interesting and quirky news from across the globe and have a roundtable coffee chat discussion. Today, I've got Stephen Nigel with me. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. This is our third Bold News podcast. I'm really looking forward to see where Steve takes us again after Tech Neck and Zoom Face. You've got a lot to live up to, Steve. There are no body parts involved this week, I'm afraid. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Right, so who's going to kick us off with uh, with one of the news pieces then today? I'll kick us off with an interesting one that I'm a bit conflicted about whether it's a good use of money or not. Um, and we've spoken about this before, and it's uh, it's research. So the University of Southern California have uh, just recently released some research that's been done on Alzheimer's and air pollution. And they've found a link between air pollution and Alzheimer's. They've done a big uh, study using both humans and animals. And they've said that uh, environmental factors can increase a person's risk of developing late-onset Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Great. So we've now got this research done. Where I'm conflicted is how much money did they spend on doing that research? Common sense, in my opinion, that bad environment is going to contribute to everything we're seeing. Therefore, that money and that effort that these this team have put in in doing this research could have been better spent finding a solution than finding a cause. I think that's valid, but I'm not sure we live in a world where common sense reigns, as it were, because I think as soon as somebody says, yes, it's obvious air pollution is linked to A, B, and C, the other person is bound to say, what evidence do we have to back that up? True. True. Look at all the anti-vaxxers. Yeah, exactly. I think sadly that's the world we live in. Common sense seems to be a long-lost thing. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I I, I think of that and I say to... when you first said it, Andrew, I thought, no, we should do the research. You know, it is important. If there is a causal link, we need to know about it. But on the other hand, we all know that pollution kills, whether and it causes all sorts of well-being issues. There was a poor girl that uh, died uh, who was an asthma sufferer. You know, recently there was a court case in the UK on that, or coroner's verdict. I can't quite remember what it was, but it, but nonetheless. You know, that linkage around health and pollution is really, really clear. And we're all, we all know we've got to reduce pollution levels. Exactly. So I think, well, yeah, it is a waste. Because I think, yes, the, yeah, it's a cause, or it's correlated. We don't know if it's a cause. But 
something that the research, even the output of the research, is you come back to one of the questions that we love asking is, so what? Are any of the actions we're now going to take on air pollution going to change because we now know that it also potentially causes Alzheimer's? But is it, the answer is no. Is it not just more fuel to that fire, though? It's just yet more evidence that pollution is bad. Therefore, yes, we need to carry on down the road of trying to do better. Yeah, perhaps you're right. Perhaps we still need to convince some people, as you were saying before, that, um, that Greta's right. The only one thing in defence that occurs to me just thinking about it now is that if there is found to be a causal link, does it give you another bit of intelligence to resolve the Alzheimer conundrum? Because it's that one thing that suddenly goes, oh my goodness. That could lead on to Alzheimer's. Yeah. I mean, they've said that they've tied it back to something called PM2.5. Uh, sorry, here we go. Yeah, PM2.5 is the silent risk for dementia. It's also known as soot, uh, consisting of microscopic particles of chemicals, car exhaust, smoke, dust, and other pollutants suspended in the air. So again, I just come back to that's great. We know that. We can't do anything differently now anyway. As an individual, that's great that I know that, but I can't do anything. I don't have a wood fire, so I'm not causing any soot. Um, I could change my purchasing habits, but actually I think it's been shown as well that all of these small environmental consumer changes uh, actually don't amount to much. It's the bigger industrial changes that need to take place for us to achieve these environmental targets. I'm just doing a piece and it's on pollution and it's talking about the fact that renewable energy is huge positive because of it obviously reduces the environmental issues but the, the thing to focus on they were saying was cars and lorries are the third largest polluter in the world hmm. and there are over a billion trucks and cars on the road today they're contributing a third of the greenhouse gas emissions quite alarming when you realize that and then you suddenly think well you know you can understand now the 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 sort of trend towards car sharing ride sharing you know electric vehicles hydrogen vehicles Mm. and you realize you put it into context like that yeah then you put it into the human context of that poor girl who, who as we said died recently yeah and you're right maybe knowing that it's not just physical health, but it's also, it is having an impact on Alzheimer's. Um, Maybe that will help governments to further push the environmental agenda. Steve, what have have you got for us? Well, we're going a bit more uh, intellectually highbrow today after previous weeks. So I found a very interesting academic paper online which is all around developing age-friendly cities and communities around the world. So the World Health Organization has played a really important part in this in trying to drive forward the age-friendly agenda, uh, just about trying to improve urban environments for older people. 
And interestingly, this is happening now all around the world. There's loads of uh, research groups in Belgium, Canada, Hong Kong, the UK and the US. And as part of this, there are four main areas that people are are trying to work on in these various age-friendly cities. The first one is trying to change the perception of older age. As boldies, that's something we hold quite close to our hearts. So representatives from Akita, for example, they're trying to create a society where people consider that a 100-year life is actually a positive opportunity. Manchester in the UK is trying to change the narrative to one that celebrates the valuable role and contribution of older people. We like that one as well. And the city of Portland has another slogan that says, nothing about them without them in its communication that they're using in these age-friendly cities. And again, there seems to be a real bit of common sense being used here. Uh, the other factors are trying to involve local businesses, local elderly residents are involved in that planning and decision-making. Uh, they're trying to get more employment opportunities for older residents, better promotion and provision of health care. And then they're also looking at more age-friendly programs, as it were. <clears throat> so then in Ottawa, for example, you've got 24 public consultations that are happening with the older generation to try and improve their age-friendly city. And you think amongst all this bad news that's knocking around, why aren't positive stories like this mm -hmm. actually, actually out there for people to read and understand? Because, you know, we're obviously keeping track of all the, the news regarding older people exactly. I was totally unaware of this. And actually, for a change, I thought it was quite good news. Yeah. Yeah. It is about this sort of positive new cycle again isn't it it's uh and also the positivity of age you know i think andrew you've talked about it in the past about different cultures and how they treat the older person yeah treat them differently and i think what i liked about that story or that article is the fact that it's global you mentioned quite a few cities mm -hmm. in there that are not your um not the ones that we've spoken about before like actually treating people as they get into the the 90s and the hundreds uh, with uh, with positivity, which is something we don't tend to see a lot of in Western countries. So that's really positive. We obviously live in the UK, and I had no idea what was going on in Manchester. Yeah, it's remarkable yeah. what's going on behind the scenes that the general public is totally unaware of. But it's not just that, isn't it? It's also the portraying of older people at the moment as being super vulnerable, frail, Etc. Etc. And the sort of the negative stereotype of age, whereas there's so much to celebrate and there's so much positivity about getting older and being old, and not talking about it actually falls into the trap of creating this sort of negative stereotype. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a tweet that um, we shared last week. I think it was from Forbes and some research that was done. Again, showing that the uh, the more successful entrepreneurs were in their over 60s. Um, so that ties into that positive image, but also the positive opportunities that you were mentioning in the article, Steve, that they are showing that there are still opportunities out there. Absolutely. Uh, they have that life experience that they can bring, mm. which is often overlooked. 
you know, <clears throat> I've seen, you know, B&Q and David Lloyd and all that are now starting to actually try and target more of the older generation to get them in the, in the stores and the clubs, which is great. And you mean in terms of working or using the stores? In terms of working? Yeah. So, you know, B&Q, you often see more older staff in there. Uh, David Lloyd Health Clubs are trying to get more mature personal trainers. So it's not all just full of youngsters because that isn't the society we live in. And as we know, the older generation are going to, you know, it will double in size. And they're the ones with the disposable cash as well. Yeah, significant uh, disposable cash. And with even more cunning things, we can't spend any money at the moment anyway. <laughs> well, I'm going to take us a little bit down market, I think, with the uh, with the conversation. The Times reported this week that Microsoft had submitted a patent for a chatbot that could speak to relatives beyond the grave. Oh, dear. <laughs> so it's an AI that uh, could replicate a person, and therefore this bot could take part in conversations as if they were your grandfather or grandmother. It's going to be an app that is accessible via phone or even such things like Alexa. So you could have a conversation with Alexa as though it was oh. a dead relative. And now it's not to say that Microsoft will actually take that a step further and turn it into a product or service. It's just that they've formally put in a submission of a patent. However, there are several other startups that are working on the same thing. So there's a Hereafter AI, and they've got hundreds of people on their waiting list for the product for when it's launched. Oh, my goodness. Eternii AI, so again, very, very similar. And I was, uh, I was amazed at the next bit. Kanye West surprised Kim Kardashian oh. with a hologram of the late father for her 40th birthday. So there's a real market out there, guys, for chatbots. Yeah, the Star Trek. Yeah. It's a good job we're not filming this, Nigel. There's a lot of cringing going on. I'm sure my son and daughter would love to actually uh, have me berating them from beyond the grave. Wow. The next, uh, please call my dead granny. No, it just doesn't sound right. <laughs> I think it's an interesting use of AI. Great use of technology. Personally, I can't. As soon as I go onto a website and I see a chatbot, I shut it down. I can't stand um, chatbots. But this one would that be companionship, though? If your other half had passed away recently, I don't know. I don't think it's something that would appeal to me. But no, it's a bit like a, a modern day Ouija board, isn't it? <laughs> mm, true. Yeah, from beyond the grave. No, I'm not sure about that. Uh, and also, the te- you, you can already tell with um, the chatbots that we do have at the moment that they're not good enough. Um, you can tell you're talking to a. So I think there's still a a long way before it would feel like you're actually talking to a person. Well, there must be a market for that, though. If there's if there's a waiting list of people to use it, that's equally scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not conflicted at all. I'm afraid it's an absolute no knowing for me. Unless I want to haunt my kids. There you go, you see. <laughs> uh, right, Andrew. 
I didn't choose an article uh, for this one. It was actually as I um, as I finished my exercise this morning, um, following these online classes, and um, the instructor said, "Now, once we're done here, you know, you don't have to go and turn on the TV to watch the news." Actually, that's so true, and it got me thinking. Um, because I typically have the news on in the background as I'm working throughout the day, and I, when I get fed up hearing BBC, I'll switch to Sky, and I'll switch to CNN, and I'll switch to Fox, just to kind of listen to a bit of everything. Over the course of a day, you realise it's more of the same. And then I thought, actually, that's so true, because you do hear a lot of the same things being drummed into you. It's all negative, and it's not actually news. You see the same stories again and again, and you become more and more anxious when you hear more and more bad stories. And because I focus on the bad elements of the stories, I mean, take, for example, very, very recently, as in last night and this morning, was the whole debacle in America, which was here in the UK, so it doesn't really affect us. But it's still quite anxiety-inducing knowing that people are storming Capitol Hill and, um, and that people are being treated differently depending on who you are and where you've stormed and whether you're a protester or a rioter. We'll leave that to a separate discussion. And I thought, actually, that's so true. You don't have to turn on the news. If it's affecting your mental health negatively, then turn it off. If there's something really, really important, you get a notification from your BBC app or from your Sky app or from your Apple app, if it's really that important and newsworthy, which I think I'm going to start doing from today, where I'll struggle is Twitter. But my source of news is actually Twitter because I see what people are talking about. And if something's happened, you go into the trending and you go, oh, and you go into a Twitter dark hole, which is not as easy to turn off. I think you're right, though, Andrew. I've spoken to a few people recently that are just fed up with the constant stream of bad news and negativity, especially as we're now all stuck at home as well. People, think, people are trying to switch off a bit now from it, I think, because otherwise it does have a really negative impact on your mental health if all you hear is just bad news, mm. which is what the news seems to consist of currently. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how many of our listeners and even, not, even us actually sat down last night and watched maybe three or four repeats exactly the same thing over a two, three-hour period with very little new within it. You've just lost most probably two, two and a half hours of your life. You're never going to get back just watching the same thing. Yeah, I did. Thinking something that's going to be different. I did. So hearing that this morning, Andrew, has made me really think, well, what's wrong with the, the nostalgic days of Breakfast news, lunchtime news, early evening news, late evening news, four periods, and then the daily newspaper. Well, I just check the news online in the morning now, and that's about it. Because you're right, if anything earth-shattering happens, it will come up on your phone or whatever. But yeah, once a day, just to see where the world is, is sufficient in my world. Well, I think I'm going to try that. But as I say, the bit I'll struggle with is uh, being on Twitter because I'm probably check Twitter once an hour. 
I'll jump on Twitter just to see what's happened, but that's just as bad as going on the news. So maybe you just need to get in, develop that habit of only checking Twitter twice a day. Yeah, I think you touched on it as well, Andrew. It is also about mental health, looking after your own mental health, mental well-being, because you do find over a period, you know, the drip, drip, drip of the same thing and the same negativity and of the 24-7 news cycle and social media and all the stuff around social media in terms of the extremists and the people that shout loudest and the rest of it. And that does suddenly become extremely wearing on your mental acuity. I think it's from a social media point of view, and I think this is something that um, is worth bearing in mind for us as well as a lot of people that are using Facebook and Twitter and the Baldy community, is there are people out there on social media who are going to say things just to, excuse the French, piss you off and to get a rise. Um, And I fell into that trap this week. Someone had made a comment about the NHS and we actually interviewed Dave Carr for one of our um, one of our first board interviews. And uh, Twitter, he was trending in the morning. I had a look in some of the comments on there. I was getting so riled up. He's not a true nurse. He's just an actor. He's just a labor activist. People have got onto his Facebook page and seen photos. And yes, he is a labor activist. Do I agree with his politics? No, not all of them. But that doesn't negate the message he's saying about the NHS, but the toxicity of social media, um, you get drawn into it. And I found myself getting very agitated about a comment from someone who is not even worth getting worked up about. So I think as bodies, it's important to remember, yeah, social media is great, but it's social media. Yeah, a lot of people say things on social media that they wouldn't dream of saying face to face. Because everyone's brave sat behind the keyboard. Yeah. Actually, it's fascinating because the point about David is quite interesting. I mean, he spoke with immense emotion when he came on about what it was like as a nurse going through the first wave of the pandemic. With some really, I thought, important messages within all of that. Like you, Andrew, you know, without going into too much about my politics, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what you know, he would represent in terms of his, his activist state. But it was incredibly important to actually hear you know, what was really going on on the front line. And, and he believes in the NHS. He lives the NHS. He's worked in the NHS all that time. And you know, he's one of our heroes in terms of you know, being part of the intensive care community I just find it astounding, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I thought it was an interesting, interesting topic. So I think for me, the takeaways from it are: turn off the news, don't look at it too often, don't look at social media too often, um, and when you do, take everything with a pinch of salt. Mm, agreed. So, Steve, hero to your. Uh, this is where normally I usually go and go. My goodness, how could you have thought of that? <laughs> No, gentlemen, did we know that the 5th of January was National Divorce Day? (laughs) (laughs) So, apparently the 5th of January is the day that brings a spike in divorce inquiries. 
usually because people have spent Christmas together and perhaps their other half isn't uh, what they thought they were. And obviously, given the uh, the pandemic and various lockdowns throughout the year, inquiries throughout 2020 were up 250% compared to 2019. Wow. And even more interestingly, while obviously couples of all ages have been affected by lockdown, the over 60s are leading the divorce trend. Wow. Now, I thought that was interesting. The article didn't give any whys behind that fact. But, yeah, out of all the uh, the age groups, it's not the youngsters, it's the over-60s yeah, that are deciding that now is the time to divorce, start again, whatever phrase you'd like to use. Mm. I guess that'll also be driving part of this housing demand that's increasing. That's true. That's true. And is it when you get to, you know, that age that you think you don't have all the time in the world to start again and you make that decision to try and have a better life? Or is it because you're more financially stable at that age and can afford to do it? I don't know. But I was surprised it was the over 60s leading that trend. Yeah, I'm really surprised. Or by then they would have realised whether they were the one for them. Maybe they've been because we are in the last twelve months spending so much more time together. You are seeing what people are re- not really like because you do see that with your partner anyway. Um, but yeah, that constant twenty four seven being in the same place would it does have its strains. It has to. Yeah, I think those mildly irritating habits turn into something mm-hmm. more than that if you're spending twenty four seven together. Yeah. Just coming back on the over-60s bit, though, it is quite interesting that they seem to be leading the way in a number of things, not just divorce, because there was an article that came out, must be three, four weeks ago, there was a study done. The study showed the over-60s were getting fitter and the under-60s were getting more like couch potatoes every day. So, yes, divorce. (laughs) Having got divorced this year, I've got nothing else to add. <laughs> no, and I'm not telling my wife. Oh, well, there you go. That's a good one. Quite a lot of money for the government as well, actually, isn't it? Because it's quite expensive. Quite a lot of money for the solicitor, Andrew, I find. Yeah, uh, oh, true. Yeah, sorry, yeah, you're right. I'm going to talk about zombie cells. <laughs> oh, he's on fire today. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a little bit more serious than it sounds, actually. Uh, it was a Mirror article. Uh, Dr. Miriam Stoppard was writing in the Mirror, and she said uh, she talked about zombie cell drugs are offering new hope to heart patients. And researchers at the Mayo Clinic and Newcastle University have actually done a, some very clever research, and they found that after a heart attack, the aging cells which are known as zombie cells, accumulate in the heart and slow down recovery. So it's really quite fascinating. And some of the back background to the story as well was also interesting, is that every five minutes, somebody suffers from a heart attack. Every five minutes? Right. And if they survive that heart attack, they'll be left with damage, and a lot of this is around these zombie cells. 
that because the heart can't heal itself, the scar tissue remains. And as the scar tissue shrinks, it basically tugs on the heart muscle and then reins in the power to pump blood around your system. They've looked at a, a drug drug called Navitoclax. I'm sure I must have got that completely wrong from a pronunciation point of view. And if they're given that daily for a week, they found that five weeks after treatment, the inflammation was reduced. There was an increase in growth of new blood vessels and heart function had also improved plumping, pumping blood, blood around the body more efficiently. So it was a way of attacking these zombie cells has made a significant difference in heart health where people have actually had a heart attack. Interesting. The takeaways for me, or surprises, I suppose, was the five minutes. Every five minutes somebody suffers from a heart attack. Yeah, that's a, a number I wasn't expecting. And also, again, I mean, looking at the current situation in the UK, that's every five minutes one person having a heart attack. That's, again, time that's being it's needed from our, our carers and our health assistants and our nurses and our doctors in the NHS. So again, showing why we need to, to do everything we can to support them. Yeah, and to keep people out of COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, wear your mask. Socially, you know, make sure your distance is, and space is actually right. You know, wash your hands. You know, we've, we've got self-responsibility is so, so important because... The time for the NHS needs to be taken up with people that have clearly, if they've got COVID, absolutely. But but equally, you know, we need the space for people that do have things oh. like heart attacks. Yeah, five minutes more. And so, with these zombie cells, is it something? What's the so what of the research? I think the so what of the research is that they found a drug that can but can actually attack these zombie cells these aging cells, the ones that actually are causing the scar tissue and then the shrinkage of the scar tissue. You remove those, you've then suddenly got a better performing heart. So you don't necessarily go on to actually have heart failure. So now they've got an understanding around this drug, they can now start to see, well, actually, how can we make this better? How can we make it more targeted? How can we so there's, a, there's more work to be done from a sort of uh, a medical field point of view. But I thought it was, a, you know, going back to the very beginning when we talked about research, I thought it was a really good piece of research that you would say, actually, that's a really good use of money. Yeah. Well, ultimately, it sounds like that drug could prolong life. Yeah. Not prolong life, but actually make, give you a better quality of life yeah. because you can you can do more things because if you think about it, how many people do you know that have had a heart attack? I've known a few people. And they basically do less afterwards because the heart is not being as efficient as it once was. Mm-hmm. If you can get your heart back to something near normal, I'm not saying completely normal, but near normal, surely that gives you a better quality of life as well. Definitely. Yeah, I was just having a quick look then at the numbers. Um, So the number of people in the UK that dying from heart and circulatory diseases uh, is rising. And this is from the British Heart Foundation in 2018. 
Um, there were 42,384 deaths of under 75s caused by heart diseases. Um, so it's increasing, so it's a, an increasing problem, um, which is good that they're finding a solution for it. Yeah, and there was another article this week which actually also linked heart health to brain health, saying that poor heart health with arterial stiffening earlier in life increased the risk of dementia. So early interventions to improve heart health could help to delay the onset of dementia. So again, you know, there's sort of interlinkages around you know, some of this. And we know that dementia is on the rise. Well, it's as we've said numerous times, isn't it? It's the whole healthy lifestyle thing to give you the best possible chance of not having these issues in later life. So there you go. So that's the that's the two articles each uh, that we've come up with. That's uh, that's been pretty good. We've had a good uh, couple of weeks as well because we had the podcast interview with Deb Bunt and Peter Berry, the authors of Slow Puncture, and that's uh, that's gone down very well. And the newsletter is now starting to come out, Steve. Yeah, that should come out next week. So keep an eye out for that in your inbox. That's fantastic. So really, really great. And I know this year we're going to be focusing as well on our campaign for a 24-7 helpline for dementia. People should watch out for that. We have another news podcast in a couple of weeks' time, guys, so we need to put our thinking caps on and searching for other interesting articles. I'd be really interested um, to hear from listeners and uh, other goldies as to what tips and tricks they've got to avoid uh, the news and to to build that habit of no longer checking Twitter so often and things like that. How other people deal with that would be really interesting to know. So just email us through at alive at theboldage.com and we'll get those shared and up on the website. Right, well, thank you very much, everybody. And uh, we will chat again in a couple of weeks' time. Very good. Bye, Steve. Okay, take care. See you, Andrew. Bye, bye. The Beyond Bold podcast is production by thebaldage.com.